25 minutes to 9 this morning, the phone rang here at the church, and I picked it up. And the person at the other end says, I understand there's an old guy preaching at the big church. <laughs> and um, so we talked a little bit, and I says, well, I'm the old guy. And I don't know if he was in the first service or the second service. I'm not going to ask him to raise his hand, but uh, that was quite an experience. Only in Erie, Pennsylvania, I might add. <laughs> he also went on to say, the sermons are pretty good too, I understand. So, here we go. <laughs> Wasn't it great to hear kind of kids squirming and, and uh, laughing and crying in church this morning? You know, we parents, we say, kids, stop wiggling. God says, wiggle. That's the way it goes. And that's healthy when they see dedications of children within the services of the church. It's a marvelous thing. This morning it's Valentine's Day. Um, I'm going to take out my bride of 41 years. I had to think for a second. Uh, just uh, at confession time. The first year we were married, we lived in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. My wife's birthday and Mother's Day and her anniversary was, was is all within 18 days. <clears throat> and the first year of our marriage, uh, as I mentioned, lived in Saskatchewan, and I had to plan for the provincial-wide track and field meet for the for the amateurs of Canada. <clears throat> And lo and behold, if I didn't forget her birthday, and I forgot her anniversary, <laughs> so I'm going to take her out for lunch. I, I've paid that price for 41 years. I'm just, I'm just kidding, of course. <clears throat> this morning we want to talk on 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 to 24, <clears throat> and it's a section of Scripture that's going to demand quite a bit from us as we celebrate Thanksgiving and recognize uh, the significance of relationships. As we delve into these verses this morning, I want to give you a couple stories. Uh, The first story happened about 35 years ago, and the second story happened about five or six years ago. We were living in Winnipeg, Canada, and pastoring a church in that wonderful city. One of the families in the church, and they weren't very much connected at this particular point, but had a very bright 10-year-old boy. He had enormous skills when it comes to creating things, drawing pictures, and putting things together. But about at age 7 or 8, his mother... His mother's name was Joan. Notice something happening to her son. To make a long story short, uh, her son had advanced leukemia. And through proper medical procedure, of course, they were able to have this child's leukemia go into remission for about two years. And after that, it emerged again, but this time as cancer of the brain. And uh, the motor skills were starting to deteriorate. Uh, ben lost the sight of his both eyes. During that process of losing his sight, he also lost his hearing. And the relationship was very deep between Joan 
and her son. And as we were observing her during the final days of Ben's life, recognizing some of the family crisis that was engaged there, the three older daughters who were really pretty much estranged, and her husband was an Oxford grad in philosophy and was pretty anti-church and what have you. Anyway, during the time of the last several weeks of Ben's life, when he was at hospital, got to know the oncologist really pretty well, and also the nurses. Ben died about three in the morning, and the nurses and the doctors called me about seven in the morning and asked me to come to the hospital to see if we could somehow get the deceased boy out of the bosom arms of Joan. Tough one, isn't it? Never forget that funeral. It was cold. It was 50 degrees below zero Winnipeg when that funeral took place. When I turned the pages of the pastor's manual that we used to bury people, it was so cold that the pages broke off. And I'll never forget that experience as uh, that funeral was concerned. It's a wonderful story. Thirty-five years since, her husband has become a wonderful believer because of the ministry of Ravi Zacharias. And the girls have been restored. That's a 35-year story. And think of some of the tough spots of your life this morning. Might be a loss of a child. Might be a loss of a spouse. It might be a horrendous failure at work. You might have had a child come back and say, Dad, you were a poor dad. Mom, same. Or you just felt tremendous rejection as you were in junior high in school. Or the church has let you down. The loss of a pastor that you loved. I want you to think this morning of some very hard issues. Issues that you really don't go to very often because you don't like them and you're afraid of them. Because you have a history, maybe some of these things kind of tripping you up. Am I the only one with that kind of an experience? second story happened in Kosovo just about five or six years ago and we're asked to go to this country to mentor our missionaries in that part of the world as they were from the northeastern district, upstate New York. And there was a pastor about uh, ten months into his faith. Never been to Bible college or seminary, and he was pastoring this small church and being well-tutored, well-coached, well-taught by our missionaries. Doing a great job in spite of his lack of growth. But uh, during his early stages of ministry, his, his wife gave birth to a son. And that son was born with a brain stem and no brain. We were asked to go over and, as I mentioned, coach the missionary and coach this couple. And I use this particular case as one of the exhibits to become certified with peacemakers. The mother-in-law said to this young pastor, You know, 
if you hadn't led my daughter, our daughter, out of the Muslim faith and embraced Christianity, we wouldn't have this predicament today. Tough stuff, isn't it? Think of it. No background. Didn't say this in the first service, but I'll say here, two of his brothers were killed in the Civil War in that part of the world. Lots of depth of hopelessness and despair, plus that comment. But out of obedience, this young pastor on Easter Sunday, we were there, held this baby up like this and dedicated that child to the Lord. And while that child was being dedicated to the Lord, God gave that child a brain. We were there. You know, this morning as we come into 1 Kings chapter 17, I want to remind us there there are issues in life that we don't have answers for. But somehow, in spite of not having these answers, the presence of God is here. And He gives us the encouragement in pain, rejection, struggle, to keep trucking on as far as our faith is concerned because God in Christ gives us a sense of peace even when we can hardly describe it or sense it or know it where the next step is going from. That's the story of 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. Let's look at that section of Scripture for a few moments this morning. And see if we can come to some basic conclusions as it relates to just trucking on in life. When you come to verse 17, we are reminded the fact that uh, Elijah was with this woman for about 18 to 24 months. And in many ways, I think this woman looked upon Elijah as her meal ticket for her and her son. Because as you know the story so well, uh, she said, uh, we're going to have one more meal, then we're going to die. And of course, we all know too from culture perspective, this woman of course was the, the, had the lowest level of esteem within the culture of that part of the world. We don't know what happened to her husband. Uh, we don't know those, uh, those uh, pieces of information. But no doubt... She had a pretty deep relationship with her son. And so as you come to verse 17, of course, we have a severe trial. The boy stopped breathing. And, of course, the child died. A little bit like the story I just told you a few moments ago. And then you have in verse 18, the bitter complaint. Elijah, you've come here for no other purpose but to remind me of my son and kill my son. You know, Peter denied the Master. And the Master went to him. As we see it in Luke chapter 5, and Luke said, as he was writing the comments of Peter, Get away from me, for I am a sinful man in his relationship with Christ. It's not easy, is it? When you've blown it good, 
and you feel rough, you feel rejected, to go back and say, Jesus, I know you love me, for the Bible tells me so. How many of you find that easy? I want to see your hands. And I can't put mine up either. But God, in His love for Elijah and this woman, does not change and has not changed. Though I'm sure there wasn't too much verbal expression between God and this woman at this particular time. But God was very much aware of the particular scene. Notice uh, point number three in the text this morning that... uh, Elijah came and asked a gracious request. Give me your son. And he took the son and, of course, went up into the place of his own protection. His own security. The place that is private. The place where Elijah had experienced lots of good things at the hand of the ravens. The brook. And the early stages of his ministry, of course, recognizing that God was taking care of the three of them. So in his early ministry, there was a sense of the supernatural as well. Enough oil and flour. The supernatural presence in Elijah's life was strong enough to take the harsh comments of the woman and take the baby, the deceased baby, up into his quarters and prayed for this baby. We all know that. But you will also notice here in the text that he completely prostrated himself on this boy. Arms to arms, legs to legs, etc. And prayed with supernatural understanding in his private ministries in the past. God, bring life back to this particular boy. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I want to remind us here, as Elijah prostrated himself on this boy, Elijah had already experienced how God had given him the whole of the gospel. His mind, his emotions, and his physical were all taken care of, were all blessed in his private ministry. And out of the abundance of faith, was able to lay prostrate on the dead boy, covering the whole of him, allowing God to bring life back into the boy. The gospel is that way. The ministry of the church must be that way. The gospel covers it all. It's not a case of picking and choosing. He covers our frail minds. He covers our emotions when we basically say we're washed up. No good. Nothing to offer. The Gospel covers all of these things. Now, are you risking in those areas this morning that I mentioned a few minutes ago, but are you allowing the Spirit of God to touch you in some of these areas where you might have been a failure as a husband or a wife? Maybe an affair. Or you're seeing your children hurt like crazy because of some of the dysfunction of the home. But God, by His Spirit, takes the gospel and applies it 
first in the very areas of life that are difficult. He wants to nurture us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to cleanse us. You know, Christ has a lot of experience in this, you know. We really put it to Him. He experienced all kinds of rejection. He experienced all kinds of loneliness. He experienced all kinds of pain. Think of Christ knowing about this issue, eternity past, knowing that each breath He was taking as He lived amongst us, it was leading to physical, painful death and rejection. Think of this pastor in Kosovo as we talked to him and basically crying his eyes out and with the with the just uncertainty is is the gospel enough in this particular situation? And how we wrestled with him. Gave him room to breathe. Gave him room to doubt. Gave him room to question. But it was most evident to see how the Spirit of God was taking the resurrected one, Jesus, and ministered to this particular young man. Friend, you might be living with your issue of concern for 20 years. God is faithful to the end. He hasn't left you, even though you might feel awfully miserable sometimes because you... you, kind of walk toward it a little bit. And you back away because it's just too painful. God's love and His will and testament for your life is always there and always will be. I don't want to sound too pious here this morning. But I'll say this. It doesn't matter how deep it is. It doesn't matter how durational it really is. It doesn't matter how many times it's tripped you up. I can say this without hesitation. Jude says, I will present you before my presence with eating great joy. We can risk to see God take care of some of those things. So there was a prevailing prayer. And as a result of that prevailing prayer, we, of course, we see how God really brought life back to this particular boy. And those verses are found in uh, those thoughts are found in verses 21 and 22. You know, as we think about the gospel and just the framework of the gospel and how God nurtures people in the gospel, you know, Elisha was mentored by Elijah. And what did he do in 2 Kings chapter 4? He also laid upon a deceased boy. And the boy came back to life. When you come to Luke's gospel, recognizing what uh, Paul did in the fifth chapter of the, of the Luke's Gospel. In a, in, in a, in a hurry, in, in, a, in, a, in a, a situation where there was all kinds of activity, Paul embraced this dead boy and was used of God to bring life back to this particular individual. Prevailing prayer brings first healing to us. We can risk We have a sense that God is everywhere present and He's also present in my doubtful mind. And my heart that hurts so hard because I've been so maybe disobedient. 
or you've trusted all the way along, and you're saying, why now? Haven't talked much about my dad. My dad was a great man, was my best friend. He died suddenly, just that quick of a heart attack. Dad could not go to be a missionary because of lack of education. He only went to grade three. But he sure was a benefit to his brothers who had all this education. My dad and mom opened their house to raise children. My folks raised 75 kids over a 25-year period of time. One of the kids lit the barn on fire. Lost all the crop, lost all the, all the uh, pigs, managed to get the cows up. My dad lived in financial poverty for 20 years. I never heard him complain once. 20 years. Oh, it was hard. Used to call family board meetings. And we'd have family board meetings and he would say, Now, kids mainly my two older brothers and myself. He said, we have uh, 600 bucks that's come in this month. I need 800 more. Heard that for years. My dad never complained because he followed God in spite of all this pain and all this agony and raised these kids. Some of them are pastors today. One of them is a missionary. But one of them lit the barn on fire and caused all this duress. I can go deeper. Life isn't always easy street, is it? Life gets pretty hard sometimes, doesn't it? But this is Valentine's Day. God gives us His love in His Son. And make no mistake about it, Jesus has experienced it all. He never changes and will give us strength in these particular issues. Now, what is your hard spot this morning? That area that you can hardly talk about, in fact, maybe you haven't talked about it for many moons. Is it right there? I want to give you a principle from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. I wrote this up. With fear and trembling when I was doing a paper for my training in clinical pastoral psychiatry. Professor was Dr. Runyon's. And I wrote this paper to him wondering what the world he was going to think about. But it's, he accepted it and it showed up in the New England Journal of Medicine. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful. Even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. What a verse in Scripture that's the words of Christ. Now let me ask you this question this morning. How many of you have been tempted in your life? I see a couple of smiles. I see some denials. And, but I see a few hands. Nothing wrong with temptations when we yield ourselves to it. That, this, that becomes a problem. And of course we have the advocacy of 1 John chapter 1. But when we have those temptations, there's a struggle here. We have a sense of hopelessness. 
We have a sense, oh boy, that just feels so good. I'm just going to do that one more time. But we ultimately get right to it and say, I'm going to, I'm going to depend on the Spirit of God to come through and give me victory. The time of the temptation and we track along that particular temptation. God appears to be silent, yet we know He's right. His truth is gospel's sound in every way. And that hopelessness there and that foreboding is there and that what's going to happen is there. Then all of a sudden He kind of comes through. And He gives you the answer to that particular situation. There was a farmer back home in my days where my dad did some custom work for him. My father had five businesses. All did poorly. But there was enough money to get me through seminary. That was his gift to me. There was a man that my dad did custom work for. Did not tell the story in the first service. It'll come later on. And this farmer would not pay my dad. My dad would never complain about it. And um, it was all over a fact of bailing a field of hay for this particular farmer. And I was helping my dad with the hay. And the farmer expected X number of bales from this particular field of hay. And of course, uh, when we finished the field, dad went up to the farmer to settle up and there was a, quite a number of less bales of hay. And the farmer accused my dad of changing the lever on the baler so the bales would pack tighter and there'd be less bales. And dad used it as a means of trying to get away from buying some of these particular bales. He wouldn't pay them. I have a sweater on this morning. Did you notice it? So I'm the one that's telling you the story. Two days before that field of hay was bailed, I disobeyed my dad. And I went to the baler and I broke the lever that controls the size of those bales. I broke it. And my dad was a Scottish Reformed Presbyterian. He knew what it, he knew what it was to call the family shots. Remember, all kinds of financial pressure. I watched my dad take the abuse of that farmer against him, knowing full well that my dad knew I broke that lever in that baler. And my dad never complained. Never complained. He just took it. Absorbed it like a blotter. Twenty-five years after that episode, my father died of a heart attack. There were all kinds of people that came to my father's funeral, including this farmer. And he saw me, of course, by that time I was getting a little gray and a little stooped and all the rest of it. You know, you, you see me, good night. And that farmer asked me, he says, what really happened back there with that baler and, and that field of hay? I said, why do you ask? I was in the ministry by this time about eight years. He said, well, I've been convicted, I've been reminded of that for all these years. And God hasn't let me off that thing. And I said, you know, I, I told the farmer the story. I said, I broke the lever in the baler. He says, how much do I owe you? To me. I said, no, you don't owe me anything. Just deal with your heart. 
and put what you feel God is wanting you to give and put it in the offering plate of the church. That's how deep this stuff really goes, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what's your story? Where are you hurting like the plague? God comes through, and as He gives His victory over these particular temptations in verse 10 of Revelation chapter 2, what I wrote in my paper was this. As you struggle with hopelessness, as you wait upon the Lord, as you struggle with these things, that is preparation that the Spirit of God is giving to you. That when you die and go from this life to the next, you have that experience of knowing how to die physically and emotionally and mentally. And the professor bought it. That's the way it is. We learn how to die. We also learn how to live because of the sufficiency and the all is encompassing life of Jesus. Now think of this woman back in Elijah's time. Oh, the deep convicting work of God in her life saying, Elijah, I now know that you're a man of God. The truth of the Gospel. He presents us faultless. Because of the Gospel and the sufficiency of the Gospel in all of its strength and all of its power. We're all without excuse. And He gives us comfort and strength in the process of this thing. In our pilgrimage and our growth. I'm really going to lay it on you for a minute. really concerns me when I have people who say to me, well, you know, if, if it gets bad enough, you lose your salvation. There's, there's that theology out there. Ladies and gentlemen, because the Gospel is perfect, because it meets the very depths of man's soul, past, present, and future, the Holy Spirit has sufficient strength and toolkit of the mind and of the heart to convict you right to the core of that sin and stay with it because it's pure and it's holy and He's going to present us and He'll make it life so difficult that we've got no choice but to confess. That's what I believe. And look at the thief. With me, he'll be in paradise. The Gospel is powerful and sovereign forever. And is able to give us strength in these particular issues of life. Is that worth an amen? Thanks be to God, He can make us feel as miserable as He wants. But He will not take our lives. He will give us a way that we can bear the temptation and a way of escape. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians. So if you feel like a penny waiting for change this morning, there's sufficient deliverance. If you're really hurting and God seems to be in a slumber for 30 years, not talking to you, you feel a little miserable, He's still there with you. I'm speaking of experience, ladies and gentlemen. I wish God would deliver my back. But He hasn't. But I'm still able to work a little bit. All the things I've learned because of a bad back. Making sense at all this morning? What about the private areas of your life? How is it going? Is it in harmony with your public ministries? 
Elijah prayed private life back to the boy and came back and look at the response publicly. I'm really going to get to you. I'm really going to address you head on right now. And don't you forget it. How is it privately now as it relates to the lostness of our previous pastor? Is the gospel enough this morning in your heart that the gospel by the Spirit and having public unity mentioned before will bring us the right man? Or are we just kind of playing the game? We've got our particular prejudicial thoughts. We, we think we know who it is. Oh, there's a guy in Florida or whatever. The case. We're going to wait upon God. Leadership of the church to ultimately come to that conclusion. Amen. How is it? Now, don't use this particular episode to excuse something else. It's all in the same pot. How does the Holy Spirit nurture us on Valentine's Day to love Him, to see His deliverance when the going is really tough? Do you still see yourself as God's kid? Let us pray. Father, as the worship team comes back, help us to really think about your presence with us, the presence of deliverance, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And as a result of that, we have a great love relationship with you, and we can enjoy your presence forever, because you love us and accept us unconditionally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.